contracts. Intellectual property. Labor law. And much more. Make up to the wonderful world of entertainment law. Let's take a moment and learn about this vast area law. Lights, camera, action. And scene. Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year. It is 2024, and this is episode 36 of NSCENE, an entertainment law podcast. I'm Tony Oikostas. And I'm Evan Nar. Boy, does it feel good to be back, to be saying that intro with you, Tony. How have you been? What was your New Year's like? Anything fun developing in the world of Iliacostas land? Yeah, it was uh, quite the holiday celebration. Had a nice low-key celebration as... I rightfully so deserved. Uh, it was quite a busy uh, year, but um, it was nice to kind of take a little bit of a break uh, during the Christmas holiday. Um, you know, my wife and I uh, were here for the holiday, so it was nice just to not really do much. And uh, New Year's off to a pretty good start. Very busy at work, um, but, you know, had to finish grading my entertainment law finals. Did that. Grades are posted, and I've got a new semester look to look forward to. Um but uh, it's been it's been a fun ride for sure. Uh, kind of wrapping up entertainment law now, transitioning over to IP. What were we we teased this in a former episode? But what were the general reactions to your uh, hypothetical on the entertainment law uh, <laughs> well, exam? Did you have people write to you? So there were a couple people that said they will never look at Josh Gad the same. Which so <laughs> for context for the listeners. I always write my exams from scratch every single semester, and I take great pride in it. The 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 hallmark question that I created this semester was that essentially Josh Gad was tapped to play Olaf in Frozen 3 and 4 and sign an employment agreement with Disney in this hypothetical, where he agrees to satisfy certain services, like he'll voice Olaf, he'll be available for re-records, and he'll be part of press junkets. And it also contains provisions that say that if he breaches contract or if at least he doesn't satisfy some of the terms, he has an opportunity to cure the breach. And then lastly, he agreed to a morals clause that he won't do anything that's scandalous, immoral, deceptive, illegal, whatever. So he does his lines. All good. Doesn't have to re-record anything except he is not part actively part of press junkets. In fact, he's supposed to appear in three weeks simultaneously on Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, and Stephen Colbert. Uh, to to promote Frozen 3 as Olaf. He is a no-show on all those interviews. So Disney is now entertaining, potentially pursuing a breach of contract claim. They notify him of the breach, and then they end up, uh, he ends up ignoring them entirely. But the creme de la creme of this question is that two days before the release of Frozen 3, there is a Hollywood Reporter exclusive, an expose on Josh Gad that for years he had been operating a secret OnlyFans account where he he illustrated and animated very highly sexualized illustrations of Disney characters engaging in sexual acts with one another, including the Disney animals engaging in acts of bestiality against the human characters. It, it It's unhinged in every sense of the word. So Josh Gad gets the boot violation of the morals clause. So the premise of the question is basically broken up into three issues. One um, was it was Disney within their right to terminate under the morals clause Two, can they pursue the breach of contract claim against uh, Josh Gad for not being a part of the press junkets and the late night shows as was obligated in the contract. And third, Josh Gad is worried that his art, what he created on his OnlyFans account is viewed as obscene. So students have to kind of evaluate is it protected or unprotected speech. 
Yep. Uh, Isn't that crazy? Isn't that a crazy question? It's hilarious because Josh Gad is the most uh, pure individual (laughs) out there. So it just makes it all the more asinine, I guess, that he'd be all caught up in this. But (laughs) very very funny, very creative. Uh, As for me, my holiday was good. Jam-packed with wedding planning, getting married in less than five months. Uh, Very excited for you and Melissa to be there and to celebrate with us. Um, So we were in California checking out the venue and did a taste test as well. So things are, are moving along. Awesome. Uh, and, and the wedding playlist is coming along and there will be a lot of Dua Lipa, spoiler alert. Can't wait, can't wait. We will, we will be dancing the night away. I, I gotta uh, ask though, are you, because uh, I know you're a big Dua Lipa fan. That's like the starter pack of Evanar. But uh, are you more of like a, old school Dua Lipa, like um, uh, uh, New Rules, or are we talking like more contemporary, like the older albums of Dua? I think her uh, Future Nostalgia album, like every single song on there is that a is, It is such a good album. It has to be considered top five in my That book. and Dawn FM by The Weeknd, I think are two just like you, no skips. Really all can be radio number one hits. Absolutely. Could agree with um, but yeah, see, I like her. I like a mix of the both, honestly. You know, she had Scared to Be Lonely, which was she was featured on, which was yeah. great. Um, but anyway, I digress. Uh, so today we will be talking about two very interesting topics. And while we were away, the entertainment gods had so many different things uh, that happened. Tony and I were sending each other tweets left and right. Uh, but we do want to narrow it down to two. We'll obviously expand on more as the year goes on. The first one we will talk about is Steamboat Willie, the original iteration of Mickey Mouse now being in the public domain. What does that mean from a trademark and copyright perspective? You know, being in the public domain, Tony and I will dive into that. And also Tom Cruise, the arguably the last great Hollywood star, signed a deal with Warner Brothers, kind of a a, uh, sort of an not an exclusive deal, but he will be kind of there to help shepherd a lot of different films and productions. Uh, And, you know, this is I can't think of anyone in Hollywood that is as prominent as Tom Cruise that is doing things like this. Uh, Obviously, we have producers like Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie that do films, but Tom will literally have an office at the Warner Brothers lot, which is crazy. We'll dive into that, what it looks like from a legal angle and for the landscape of cinema. Uh, And then our fun topic, there are so many great movies coming out in 2024. So Tony and I will share our three most anticipated films of 2024. Before we dive into that, Tony, why don't you give a disclaimer? Yes, as always, Evan and I are lawyers, but we're not your lawyers. So anything we say in today's episode is purely our opinion and not representative of our employers in any way, shape, and form. And anything that we say in today's episode is to not be construed as legal advice. Back at Killed you, it. Yeah, Killed it. Didn't miss a beat, man. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you. So let's dive into it. The first one is Steamboat Willie. So, uh, Tony, I mean, I know we've done this time and time again, our Mickey Mouse. We're, we're practically like Mickey Mouse. We should just cosplay as Mickey Mouse at the next Comic-Con at this point. Oh, boy. But yeah, Tony and I have done our Mickey Mouse impersonations ad nauseum, so we won't <laughs> we won't bore you with it here. Um, but, you know, this is huge in the world of copyright, intellectual property, trademarks, you name it. We saw this kind of come to fruition with the Winnie the Pooh character, uh, and Bambi last last year was it two years ago? I think last, it been- uh, Bambi might have been two years ago, but the big one last year was the A.A. Milne version of uh, Winnie the Pooh. Right. So when when something is in the public domain, that means it no longer has 
copyright protection or or any sort of intellectual property protection, and it can be used freely by anyone without ramifications of the original copyright owner uh, coming after you. Tony, why don't you give like a you know a one minute background as to how Steamboat Willie uh, had copyright protection and why it lasted up until. 2024, even though it was created in 1928. I'm going to start off by saying that you can thank Steamboat Willie and Disney for how copyright law is structured today. So Steamboat Willie comes out in November of 1928. And at that time, the Copyright Act of 1909 is the law that governs copyrighted works. Traditionally, the term was 28 years from date of publication. And then after those 28 years, you can have the chance to renew the copyright in the U.S. Copyright Office for an additional 28 years. So if you didn't renew 28 years after publication, it enters the public domain. But if you do it for an additional 28 years, it's the collective 56 years. So arguably, his uh, Steamboat Willie's copyright was probably going to expire sometime around like the 19th or late 1970s, early 1980s. But just around that time is when the Copyright Act of 1976 comes around, and a lot of the older works from like the 1920s are grandfathered into the Copyright Act of 1976. So, in effect, their term is automatically renewed as a result of that. But oh no, in 2003, Steamboat Willie was going to enter the public domain. So, in 1998, uh, 1997, 1998, Disney lobbied Congress pretty aggressively. Thanks to the help of former singer, uh, then turned uh, senator um, or congressman, I believe, um, Sonny Bono, for you know, you know, uh, Sonny and Cher, you know, I got you, babe, um, and uh, he tragically passed away, um, uh, I think, from a skiing accident. But his fellow colleagues carried on an homage to execute what ended up becoming the Sonny Bono Copyright Term Extension Act, also known as the Mickey Mouse Protection Act, that essentially extended the copyright even more. So originally, the Copyright Act of 1976 would allow copyright uh, copyrighted works to last for uh, the life of the author plus uh, 50 years. And then they ended up amending it for individual authors to be the life of the author plus 70 years. And for corporate protections for works that were created by corporate entities like a Disney, um, it basically added like an additional 20 years. So right now, the way the Sonny Bono Copyright Term Extension Act operates, anything that any copyrighted works that are created by a corporate entity will last for 95 years from date of publication or 125 years from date of creation, whichever is first. More times than not, nine times out of 10, it's always going to be that 95-year term that applies. And hence, that's how Steamboat Willie ended up having a very long lifespan. And the 95 years, 1928 plus 95 equals 2023. And that's how it entered the public domain at the start of this year. And the public wasted no time. We already saw trailers within the first few weeks of January (laughs) of a horror version of Steamboat Willie. Um, I don't even know what it's called. Do you know Uh, what it's called? Mickey's Mousetrap. Which is so tricky that I, they are literally playing with fire with Disney with that title. I was I was just about to say that. So we'll dive into that in a second. First of all, you know we have that movie. There's also a, a playable video game as well that was pretty horrific. Uh, yes. Like just like seeing rats. I guess they're mice, but it, it was pretty scary. But yeah, let's let's unpack the playing with fire. There, you said you said it's Mickey's what? Mickey's mousetrap. Mickey's Mousetrap. I mean, you have to imagine that Disney is going to strongly protect the more modern versions of Mickey Mouse and other rights that they have copyright uh, protection over. I mean, it is it is 
their bread and butter if you're thinking about it when you you automatically associate Mickey Mouse with Disney. So it is interesting because there you know there could be consumer confusion here. Uh, I could just imagine. I mean, again, there's so many things available online now, but I could imagine a you know uh, an unsuspecting parent bringing their child to Mickey's Mouse Trap when it sounds like Mickey Mouse, and exactly. that it being this incredibly scary film. I mean, it'll probably be rated R, so that's <laughs> that's a dead giveaway. <laughs> that's a dead giveaway. But what do you think uh, in terms of you know, how can the public get away with using Steamboat Willie and then not infringe on on Disney's current copyright protection over the more modernized version of Mickey? Well, the answer lies in something that you just mentioned moments ago, which is that Disney is going to be very proactive in protecting other iterations of, of Mickey Mouse. Right. And I think that this has kind of been the misconception on Instagram and TikTok and social media, which is when they hear that Mickey Mouse is entering the public domain, they think that the entirety of the character has entered the public domain. Right. But it's important to stress that it's only this specific iteration of Mickey Mouse, the Steamboat Willie version, where he's behind the boat whistling with the little captain's hat. That's the version that has entered the public domain. Not Sorcerer Mickey from Fantasia, not band leader Mickey from the Mickey Mouse uh, Clubhouse, and surely not the newer renditions of Mickey Mouse in Mickey Mouse Clubhouse or in the newer cartoons like even in uh, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. So all those characters are still protected under copyright. They will eventually eventually expire and enter the public domain, but for now, they're very actively protected under copyright law. So the trick is, if you're going to use, if you're going to do something related to uh, Steamboat Willie, you're going to have to use just the rendition of Steamboat Willie, the black and white version, and you can't call him Mickey Mouse because Mickey Mouse is still protected as a trademark. There are classes of goods related to merchandise, to entertainment, to whatever other goods and services it's are out there. Um, Steamboat Willie, though, fair game. You could go all in on using that, and that shouldn't, uh, you know, create any sort of uh, sense of consumer confusion. This is more of a business-oriented question. I want to get your opinion on this, and I have my own thoughts. Do you think that Disney continuously creates new iterations of Mickey, Minnie, you know, you name it? Obviously, you have to adapt with the times, right? I mean, you know, you don't want to see the same old Mickey Mouse. But I think from a business perspective, it makes sense to keep on creating these new versions while you already have the copyright protection for the older version and then building off of that. And then you'll just have an infinite amount of copyright protection over some iteration of Mickey. Do you agree? I 1 billion percent agree with you to the point that I actually did a video about this. Oh, did you? I So uh, sometime around like May or June of last year, uh, Disney released the finale of The Wonderful World of Mickey Mouse, which was a series that Disney had did for Disney Plus, like all these like animated Mickey shorts. And they're very funny. Mm -hmm. The finale was called Steamboat Silly which is Mickey invites all of his friends over to the house to watch Steamboat Willie. The projector jams and the film tears, but out of each film cell come all these Steamboat Willies mm. and they invade the city. And now they have to bring everybody back and uh, who brings them back? Uh, band leader Mickey brings them back and they all sing the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, uh, the Mickey Mouse theme song, um, uh, Mickey Mouse Club a song, and they end up going back to the film cells. But I'm so glad you brought that up because if you look at the way Steamboat Willie is animated in Steamboat Silly, there 
are very, very, very subtle differences between that animation and the Steamboat Willie version that was animated by Up Iwerks and Walt Disney in 1928. He even looks different. Right? So, like, maybe, like, even down to, like, the eye animation, it's, like, super subtle. You just have to have an eye for it, and you have to have seen enough Mickey cartoons and Steamboat Willie to understand the distinction. But exactly that. So now, I think that this is Disney's way of saying, okay, you can have the 1928 version of Steamboat Willie, hmm. but now we have this 2023 version of Steamboat Willie that's ours, that we're going to protect and we're going to call ours, and it's not going to expire until 95 years from now. And there wasn't really a time crunch on it either. Like They could have done this in 2024 because it's in the public domain. I mean, it makes sense to do it while you're the only one that has ownership on right. of it. Um, but yeah, that's very interesting. And I'm looking at the pictures now of Steamboat Silly, and I, I think it looks slightly different than... Just from a you know, just from an eyes view of it, um, slightly one, different than the nineteen twenty eight iteration. Yeah, one other thing that also Disney did that's very interesting is they registered a motion mark, which is a type of trademark that involves motion um, as a source identifier. So they basically registered a motion mark that is used at the start of a, every single Walt Disney Animation Studios mm-hmm. picture mm-hmm. that shows from sketch to animation, yep. Steamboat Willie, and they registered that as a trademark. So. They register it in classes related to entertainment services like films and television shows. And I have a feeling that that this is basically Disney's calling card telling the whole world, if you plan on using Steamboat Willie as a source identifier, like as a brand logo for your entertainment company or your media production company, beware because we're using it actively for our Disney animation uh, studios pictures. So it's kind of, they're finding ways, creative ways. I mean, I think Disney has come to grips with the fact that copyright can't last forever, but they are finding creative ways of trying to maintain the copyright or the trademark or other IP interests that work in their interests for sure. Interesting. Props, uh, props to the creative Disney lawyers and business folks thinking there of you that. Go. Shout out to them. And, and animators. These are probably the same lawyers that epically created Chippendale Rescue Rangers, who were <laughs> the licensing geniuses of that film. So Geniuses. Yes, definitely shout out to them. So that will wrap up our discussion on Steamboat Willie. Let's talk about Tom Cruise. So, you know, Tom Cruise is definitely a polarizing figure, I would say. Uh, you can't dismiss his off-screen antics um (laughs) but you you have to respect the box office draw that he is as well as the from what i hear he's like a pleasure to be around you know on film sets and things like that besides that one screaming video of mission impossible but i assume tensions were high because of covid uh but i've i've heard great things and he sends these coconut cakes to everybody you know so anyway Let's talk a little bit more about Tom Cruise and this deal that he formed, the strategic alliance of sorts with Warner Brothers. So it's no uh, secret here that Tom has been very close to the Paramount family. I, I believe almost all, if not all, the Mission Impossibles were, were bankrolled and under the Paramount umbrella. Most recently, of course, we had Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, which did not do as great at the box office as anticipated. We'll go into that. But we also had Top Gun, which was 2020, 2022's uh, sensation film. It came out in 2022, right? Uh, oh, I want to say 2021, no? No, it's definitely uh, not 2021. Uh, tw- 2022 then, yeah. 
Wow, time is flying I, I know, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> um, anyway, so Warner Brothers Discovery also has been in headlines too, right? We have David Zaslav, who's the CEO, which uh, Warner Brothers merged with Discovery and, and DZ was the uh, CEO of Discovery before this merger. And he's also been in the headlines too because of his decision to scrap Batgirl, uh, the the Acme versus uh, Roadrunner um animation i think was john cena in that one i think yes he was yeah so uh, people are really shocked by a lot of the decisions that are being made here i think they did it for tax write-off reasons they're selling a lot of their portfolio we discussed this uh you know before in, in previous episodes where hbo originals are now being shown on netflix for a licensing fee so this was an eye-opening um, headline here, Tony. W- what are your overall thoughts of this? You know, we discussed offline uh, the other day that you think this is kind of like a first look deal of sorts, but not exactly. W- what do you think? Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm. First off, I have to say shout out to Tom Cruise for perpetually finding ways to just continue to be such a a a, a such an important. Uh, part of the machine that is the Hollywood industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right. He is polarizing, but his films speak for themselves. I mean, let's even talk about all the films that precede, um, you know, uh, the Mission Impossible films. A Few Good Men, Rain Man. Not many people talk about his performance on Rain Man. It is unbelievable. Um, Risky Business. I mean, these are films that truly defined the Hollywood career of Tom Cruise. Heck, even him in Tropic Thunder, uh, amazing like he, he just has like that that great persona to be je ne sais quoi yeah that je ne sais quoi <laughs> that makes him so great a- exactly that exactly that now i have to say this this deal i think for it, there are a number of things one this is such a no-brainer this makes total sense we're seeing uh, a lot of hollywood actors kind of get into the production space and uh you mentioned earlier brad pitt margot robbie they're getting into that space heck i would even venture to say this has paved the way thanks to people like Tower Perry, who directed, produced, and starred in his own films. Mm-hmm. See that even with Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who has his own production company as well, and acts and has become like such a, an important actor for our generation as well. Highest paid actor, too. Highest paid actor, too. So I think that we are... I think this is definitely a no-brainer to have one of the biggest action stars, arguably our generation, Steve McQueen, to be a part of you know the important uh, Hollywood business that that exists around us. Um, so as Evan mentioned, I I had mentioned to him offline that this has the feel of like a first look deal. It's not a first look deal. The premise of a first look deal is that a director or a producer gives a production company first rights to look at a script or look at a screen treatment of a film or a series. And it's up to them to decide if they want to take it on or if the director or producer can shop it to a different uh, platform. Um, One example of one of these first look deals actually happened by way of Matt Reeves. The Batman was the film that he directed that basically zeroed in on that deal. He he got a first look deal. Um, he's an excellent director. So now anytime that he wants to make a Batman film, obviously it's likely going to get greenlit by, by Warner Brothers. But if he wants to make other films, he now gives Warner Brothers first rights to either look at the script and say yes, or he could shop it around to Universal, to Warner Brothers, or to uh, Paramount, to uh, Disney, to any other platforms that are out there. Note that this is different, though. This is not an exclusive exactly, deal. Exactly. So, and, and I think that that's the important distinction here, right? Tony and I like literally 
I, I don't know who sent who this headline, but you brought up, and I was thinking the same exact thing, which is why we were separated at birth. <laughs> How can Tom Cruise still film Mission Impossible 8 with Paramount with this deal? And I think as we found out more information, it's because we know it's not an exclusive deal. Exactly. And I think that this sheds light then on the beauty of this agreement, which is it's not inhibiting Tom Cruise from still maybe making films for Paramount. I mean, we just learned weeks ago that Top Gun 3 is in development. So it's very likely that there'll be a Top Gun 3 for sure uh, coming out maybe at the tail end of 2025 going into 2026. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe there might be a Top Gun 4. Who knows? Uh, you know, the, these film franchises take on a life of their own. Um, but but he, this still allows him to have a fully uh, available, you know, platform by way of Warner Brothers to make film franchises from scratch to develop films. And I think, if I'm being honest, yes, he will have latitude to star in these said films with Warner Brothers. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a bet that of for every five films, let's say that he's involved, his production company is involved in that he helps develop. He's probably going to be starring in like one or two of them. I have a feeling he's going to take more of like a producer role with Warner brothers and less of an active acting role. Uh, You know, I mean, he's in his sixties, so age might be catching up to him. I mean, this is a great way to kind of retire out of the Hollywood business to go full in all in on production. I don't think there's anything more he could achieve. Really? Really? Uh, Well, he's never won an Oscar. Has he, never he has? No, I don't think he ever has. Actually, that's well, I think I think it's because he's he's so polarizing, honestly, which is just unbelievable to me. How you know? Listen, we have to give prop to you know uh, props to the stunt people out there. More often than not, you don't see too many actors doing their own stunts, and this guy dangles from. I mean, if you saw Mission Impossible, he like he drove a damn motorcycle off a mountain. That was like legit. Yeah, no, no. It, uh, honestly, it, I'm looking at his nominations. He has been nominated for what? Times. Probably Magnolia. Uh, Magnolia. So um, Magnolia for best supporting actor, and then Rain Man. Uh, Jerry Maguire for best actor. Shockingly, not Rain Man. He was really? excellent, and I'm really shocked at that. Actually, best actor nominations were only for Born on the Fourth of July in 1990, which was mm-hmm. a good movie, and in 1997 for Jerry Maguire. Best supporting actor in 2000 for Magnolia, also a fantastic film, and then best picture, Top Gun Maverick, uh, just nominated. So, never won. He's won at Cannes. He's won the Golden Globes before. He's won uh, with the Screen Actors Guild, but sadly, he hasn't won an Academy yet. So. I do have one um, one final thing to say before we move on, and I forgot to mention this. This doesn't really come as a shock to me because there was a lot of friction between Paramount and Cruz, mostly with the release of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. If you guys recall, I believe the exact date was July 12th that came out, or July 10th, and it was kind of stuck right in the middle of Barbenheimer, I think a week before and you know you you get the most box office draw when you have them in the premium formats IMAX Dolby and when you had Barbie and Oppenheimer coming out 10 days later that literally decimated any chance to, uh Mission Impossible had at 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 succeeding at the box office totally so that was he actually lawyered up because of the 45 day window for Top Gun Maverick against Paramount and then he was you know upset about Mission Impossible and then Paramount, rightfully so, was upset with him and McHugh, Christopher McQuarrie, his his confidant, his director, partner in crime, uh, for ballooning the costs of of Mission Impossible. So you know, it, it I think he might see a more stable 
place in Warner, which is ironic because of <laughs> the them being in the headlines of DZ's decision. So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. I think it can only be positive, um, but I'm curious to see if this is Tom signaling that he doesn't really have full faith in Paramount. There's there's rumors that Paramount might be bought out. Um, and don't, what don't sleep about- on that rumor, guys. Do not sleep on that rumor. It happened. Yeah. It it came out. Uh, Axios, I think, broke the story in like the tail end of December, just around Christmas. And um, while I think that it could be an antitrust nightmare, um, a merger with Paramount and Warner Brothers would truly be probably one of the most uh, shape-shifting decisions in the Hollywood business. I think it would really shake it up a lot. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So that is that. And let's wrap it up with our three favorite films. Do we want to, or excuse me, not three favorite films, three films that we're most anticipating in 2024. Do we want to do popcorn style or do we want to just list the three? I know that we're going to have one overlap at least. <laughs> um, uh, whatever, whatever floats your boat. I'm happy to do it whatever way you want. I'll just go first. I'll go first. Okay. All right. So in no particular order, I am most looking forward to Dune part two. Uh, obviously, this was pushed back because of the strikes, and I am such a movie like goer nerd that seeing it in seventy millimeter at IMAX Lincoln Square like tickles my fancy, I guess you could say. <laughs> um, and I know that it's gonna it's filmed in seventy millimeters, so I'm very very excited for that incredible cast. Um, a lot of them returning, new, new welcome face with Austin Butler, Florence Pugh, Christopher Walken. Doesn't get better than that. After that, I'm going to go with Deadpool 3. I know that's probably on your list, too. Am I right? I, uh, it was, but now not anymore. <laughs> no, you could say it. You, you could say it. We could have overlap. Um, I'm mostly looking forward to seeing Hugh Jackman donning um, the Wolverine suit again. Uh-huh. I did think Logan was a nice send-off, but I mean, I, I speaking of Je ne sais quoi, I love Hugh's stage presence um, on, the, on the screen, so I, I'm excited to see him play logan uh aka wolverine which i would argue is a top five representation of a comic book character in real life uh and then lastly this this kind of from left field is uh roger eggers is nosferatu uh i i don't know why but i love like vampire films wow and, and sort of like you know eccentric i actually saw um a one-woman show of jekyll and hyde yesterday so like you know that those old timey monsters uh, you know wolfman you name it um and roger eggers is a fantastic is it roger or robert eggers i think oh i i've um i'm not exactly sure actually (laughs) i'm so sorry it's robert eggers Eggers, Uh, I'm, i'm i'm so sorry uh mr eggers but yeah i mean he's done films like the northman the lighthouse the witch very um niche films i would say but this nosferatu cast it has lily rose depp which is of course um johnny depp's daughter we have bill skarsgård who plays pennywise the clown uh and he is just so great at physical acting you have willem dafoe nicholas holt aaron taylor johnson you name it so very good cast very much looking forward to that those are my three how about you uh before i dive into my list wasn't there a nosferatu film last year there was a film also starring Nicholas Holt, ironically, and Nicholas Cage. Is that the one you're talking about? No, I think there was like a like a. It was I think based on like the Dracula character, and I I, I don't know why, but Nosferatu. The last Nosferatu came yeah. out, but I mean, it I'd never heard of it. Yeah, I saw because I remember every so often whenever I came out of the Midtown Tunnel, there was like a massive uh, uh, 
poster for it right outside. No, there's no way you heard of this. It has 24 ratings on IMDb. I think you were talking about the one Renfield. No, no, no. There, there was a man. There was another. Then it must have been a different, not because it wasn't Renfield. Because I definitely know that. There oh, was, the last voyage of the Demeter. Oh, Demeter. Yes, that's what it is. Is that that's not the same thing, right? I saw. I actually saw that in theaters um, on a rainy sun on a rainy Saturday. That is different. That was not even the. I don't even think Dracula even spoke in that. That was like the creature itself haunting a boat. Got it. Okay. It was. It was an okay film. I enjoyed it, and it had um, uh, Liam Cunningham from Game of Thrones uh, who played Sir Davos. It was good. It it was worth seeing for sure. Uh, I was going to say if it was also a Nosferatu film, I was going to say it perfectly. Uh, sheds light on a topic we've talked about about twin films and and all that but yeah yeah no there's i mean vampire and transylvania is something that just is not going away there's like another there's so many vampire movies people are obsessed with them yeah definitely um all right so let let me let me say that the films i'm not looking forward to (laughs) definitively mickey mouse's uh mickey's mousetrap and also madam web like let's just Let's just call it like it is. It's I will movie. see Madam Web though, just to see. Just to see it. But if you tell me, if you come out of that theater, you tell me it was fan fiction, I'll say I'm not shocked. Uh- <laughs> they're, they're making very seductive promos. Like Dakota Johnson, like telling me, I, I see that you're going to go see Madam Web. I'm like, yes, Dakota. I will. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, 50 shades of Spider-Man, yeah. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so weird. Um, so, uh, obviously, Evan did mention Deadpool three. I'm really looking forward to that film. Um, you know, like Evan said, I'm I'm excited to see the reprisal of, uh, you know, Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Um, it's just these Deadpool movies have such imp- impeccable comedic timing, and I know that there is definitely to be a discussion about how the film was halted because of the the Screen Actors Guild. And I'm like, I'm just like so looking forward to some like sarcastic reference to that or other sarcasm sprawl throughout the film is just going to be uh, wonderful. So you're probably wondering why it took so long for this to be released. Exactly. That's because. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. Exactly. Right? Yeah. To the T exactly with that same level of like, like that tone. Exactly. Yeah. Right. yeah. So I'll probably put that as like my honorable mention because I don't want to steal uh, Evan Sunder. So, um, so I'll start with Spider-Man Beyond the the Spider Verse. Nice. Um, I'm I loved Across the Spider Verse. Um, I loved the first one into the Spider Verse, of course. Across the Spider Verse left such a great cliffhanger, and I, I just love the way Sony has really embraced the Spider-Man character in animated form. The live action stuff, eh, it's kind of hit or miss. Very much like in the same vein as I'm not looking forward to Madam Web. I'm definitely not looking forward to Craven. A lot of these films have been very much hit or miss. Same with like Morbius. Um, so the, their adaptation of Spider-Man characters in film have been really lackluster, but the animation has been out of the park. So Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse, that that is going to be one film that's just going to, I think, steal the spotlight. Second one is uh, Joker Fully Adieu, if I'm doing the pronunciation right yeah and uh that's the second that's the the sequel to the todd phillips film joker uh joker is a very thought-provoking film yes it's a villain film yes in some regard it does romanticize murder and crime and all that but i think it also sheds light on 
the mental essence illness. of mental illness, right? Mental health and how it is a real crisis. And I think oftentimes we're very used to the narrative of Joker as, oh, he fell into a vat of chemicals and he became this madman. But you know, I think we've seen so many iterations of Joker in more contemporary versions. I think arguably the first person to do it was Christopher Nolan of addressing how this guy is just unhinged. And it's because he likely has some type of mental health issue. Arguably Heath Ledger's Joker is this character that suffers from multiple personality disorder or schizophrenia or something. Um, and probably the, the Matt Reeves version of Joker will address that this is a guy with a physical deformity and likely also suffers from some type of mental deformity. So um, I think Joker the Todd Phillips version really does a, a very good job uh, kind of telling that story. And I'm very eager to see Lady Gaga's involvement in it. It should be really, really intriguing and thought provoking um, as a film. So uh, that's definitely one to watch. And the last one might be a shock to you, but I'm, I'm actually going to go ahead and say kingdom kingdom of the planet of the apes. Yeah. Um, I saw the, I saw the trailer. It looks really good. Um, I really love the new newest iteration of planet of the apes films. Matt Reeves did a great job with those. And I think uh, seeing the Caesar character it evolve over the films has just been amazing. But and he's not in this one. Cause I think he's dead, isn't he? He is dead. Yes. He, he died in uh, the war of the planet of the apes. So I, I think we'll, Definitely see the uh, you no know, more the, Andy Circus. Sadly, yeah, I know that's a pity. That is honestly a pity. But um, but it's it's just been so great to see that evolution of that character, and it's going to carry on. I think in some regard with the other characters, uh, should be a really fun film to watch, and uh, hopefully it won't be a bust like Transformers: Rise of the Beast, which I had called as a film to watch last year. But I, I think King on the Planet of the Apes should be good. I love it. All right, that'll bring us to the end of our inaugural. Uh, 2024 episode of End Scene. Thank you so much for your continued patronage uh, for listening to us over the uh, course of 2023. We had several thousand listens, which is so heartwarming to us uh, to see you guys show up week after week and listen to us ramble and and talk <laughs> about some fun things. Uh, but we hope that you learned something. And uh, Tony, why don't you take us on home? Yes, of course. Uh, we're not filming in studio. We're on Riverside today, but we we'll always want to give a shout out to PT Knitwear Podcast and Bookstore, located at 180 Orchard Street in the Lower East Side. Want to give a shout out to Hunter Zarin for the epic theme song. It's always wonderful to hear that, especially after a nice uh, month long hiatus. <laughs> um, you can listen to uh, us a little bit more on Shake, S H A Y K. Use referral code NCN to join the conversation on all things entertainment law. And most importantly, we want to thank all of you for listening to this week's episode of NCN and Entertainment Law Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out to us on all social media platforms at NCPod. And until next time, NCN. Nice.